it was a different way to approach having me be more comfortable with my body and just using it in different ways. I look back at the at the beginning of us working out and it just seems almost like you had this giant puzzle of my body and you had to decode it and and figure out how to get, you know, the mind communicating with the limbs and the core and you kind of did it sequentially. I didn't know what was going on, but you did. You had the master plan and it all worked because eventually we got the movements to, you know, transition one into another and it looked it looks good, but it was all it was all new for me. Welcome to this thing called movement, brought to you by Ivolna, hosted by Marie Janasek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of This Thing Called Movement, a podcast where we dig deeply into the world of movement, exploring the many ways it has the potential to transform and shape our lives, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and sometimes even spiritually as well. Now, for those who've been longtime listeners, you've probably noticed a theme when I come into these interviews with guests, and I will typically start with the question, what was your movement journey? Now, this question feels like such a potent place to really help expand our awareness of what is possible and what the potentials are for us to begin to create a more fulfilling, healthy and sustainable relationship with our bodies, with our movement practices and with ourselves. It's really powerful to hear from people all the different routes they chose and took and why, which practices stuck, which ones resonated, which ones created friction for them, and how they made decisions along the way to find what fit them at whatever life stage they were at. And it's particularly empowering to hear this from professionals in the fitness and wellness spaces. But I think there is something extra juicy and extra special about hearing that journey through the lens of somebody who is not a professional in that space. Which brings us to what we're doing here today, which is something a little bit different. I've wanted for a long time to bring on clients and average people into the space to talk about their unique relationship to movement and share their journey and how it has progressed over the course of their lifetimes. And so today I'm really excited to share this conversation that I was able to record with a longtime client and now very close friend, Selena Sidhu. Selena and I began working together five years ago in New York City, and she had a series of incredible transformations happen over that time, not just in terms of her body's overall functionality and mechanics, but some pretty significant mental and emotional shifts in her relationship to movement, her body, her family, and so much more. In today's conversation, we kick things off by learning more about Selena's personal movement journey, how she began in her mid-20s with no prior fitness or athletic experience and just showed up into Lululemon and 
asked the woman working there where she could begin working out and how that led her into Bikram, into running, into strength training, and then eventually to me to really explore the farther reaches of movement culture between animal flow, FRC, Edo Portal, and so much more. And now she has a very robust movement practice that is fully charged by enthusiasm, eagerness, curiosity, excitement, and joy. We also discussed how intuitive movement helped shape Selena's relationship with movement and her body in expected and unexpected ways, and some of the ways it has fundamentally changed how she takes care of herself in a way that feels so much more sustainable and enjoyable. And finally, we discussed how some of these shifts have impacted who she is today, how they've influenced her as vice president of Saratoga Med, how they've influenced her as a wife, as a mother, as a friend, and the lessons she's learned as a result of her relationship to movement over the years that she's been able to carry forward in all these other aspects of her life. I had such a wonderful time connecting with Selena about all things movement. And it was such a pleasure for me to hear so many new details about her experience, not just as my client, but really as a human being learning to interact with her body through this whole new lens and this whole new perception. And my hope is that this conversation shows you that this kind of deep internal transformation in relationship to movement, even in the details of how we think and feel about it, is really possible for anyone, even those who are not movement professionals. And I hope you walk away from this conversation feeling inspired, excited, and just so eager to go out into your movement practices and really begin exploring and getting curious and discovering what resonates most for you, what gets your juices flowing, what makes you excited and and ready to try things and test the potential of what your body is ready to show you. And if that feels like an intimidating ask or you still feel like you're somebody who needs some more support in that process, that's what Evolna is here to help you with. So if you haven't had an opportunity to check out our digital studio yet, I highly recommend it. It's built from a lifetime's worth of research and work in terms of figuring out how to simplify this process of connecting with our intuition, learning to listen deeply to our body, and cultivating that sense of joy and exuberance in movement practice. And what we've done with the digital studios, we've really tried to break things down in as simple and accessible a way as possible. So no matter what your movement background or expertise level is, whether you have a lot under your belt or nothing, you should feel completely safe and be able to really get a lot of joy and revelation as a result of these practices we've created. So head to our link in the show notes to check it out. Get your first 14 days free. You don't have to stay committed if it's not working for you, but we would love to have you join us. And on that note, let's get back to this beautiful, inspirational, and heartwarming conversation with Selena as we relax, sit back, and tune in. 
Welcome, Selena. It's so good to have you on with us today. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So for the audience members, I, Selena and I actually trained together for what was it, four years, five years in New York City? Yeah, probably four, if not a little over four years. Yeah. Yeah. And she was probably one of the most engaging clients I've ever worked with because she has this innate thirst for knowledge and she takes everything that you throw at her and actually practices it. So it's such a rare opportunity as as a teacher and as a coach to watch somebody really want to learn on that level and soak it all in. I love soaking it all in, especially if you're teaching. <laughs> it is and, fun. Um, yeah. And so I'd love to sort of like talk a little bit more about what led up to us working together. So when you met me four years ago, like I already met you as a very active person, but I'd love to know about your personal relationship with movement mm -hmm. leading up to that time. How did it begin? and who or what inspired you to actually start moving a lot more regularly? I, I really didn't work out very much in my youth all the way to, to I would say, mid-20s. You know, my 20s, I traveled a lot. Um, I was always in different countries, different locations, and that was my focus. You know, and then when I moved back to New York and made it my home base, I started going out and having a few glasses of wine here or there and the weight started creeping on and I had mm. always been really really thin it was the first time in my life where I, I I could actually see myself getting bigger and so I said to myself I'm really uncomfortable like what do I do I should probably go to the gym and so that's that's how that started um, probably I, I might have been around 26 27 at that point in time and I didn't know what to do I, I didn't know how to work out except for a walk on a treadmill but I knew I needed a little more than that to keep up with all the eating out that I was doing so I remember going to Lululemon after work one day and just being like you know I need an outfit to work out and also where can I go to work out if I've never done it before and the lady's like here's an outfit for you and you should go to the Bikram yoga studio on the Upper West Side. Whoa. <laughs> like, okay, cool. I'll do it. So I like woke. I found the schedule. I woke up in the morning. Put my I had a head like a Rambo headband. The lady gave me. It was the most awful outfit in the entire world. And I walked <laughs> down the Upper West Side like that to the studio. No water. No backup change of clothes. I didn't know it was like hot. Like really, really hot in there. But I made it through, you know, and, and I, I continued to do it for, for many years. And then I started just tacking stuff on, uh, spin class, did a spin class every once in a while. Then I started running and I fell in love with running. Um, mm. And I ran farther and farther distances and just kept going. And, you know, I continued to, to do it. I still run today, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't do hot yoga or spinning, but I do run. <laughs> yeah, hot yoga is a intense starting point like <laughs> it was really intense I think I had heat stroke the first time I did it too I didn't even I was like oh this doesn't feel feel really right afterwards but I'm like but oh. the lady says I can do it at Lululemon I gotta keep going I gotta keep going yeah so. I think it's fascinating right because so often when we're looking to make a change we 
we get directed into these really extreme starting points. You know, I also find it fascinating that at the time when you were trying to figure out where to start, like the easiest place for you to find the answer was actually in the clothing store. Yeah. That's where I went. I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't Google anything or I just went to the clothing store because I figured, let me start with the outfit first. Yeah. Get ready. Get the gear. Yeah. If I have have the right outfit, I didn't even have workout clothes. So, uh, you know, I just figured it would all start from there. Put the headband on and you'll be ready to go. (laughs) So you 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 missed out on heat stroke. You always sort of got heat stroke your first time. I think I did. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, what what motivated you to keep going? You know, like even even though it was new, scary, challenging. Like, was yeah. there a, a particular turning point where you felt yourself really get excited or kind of more inquisitive about exercise and being in your body? I started to feel much better after after these sessions that I was doing. I, I just I felt, you know, alive. Like I was walking down the sidewalk and I, I didn't have that brain fog that was there before. Every the, you know, everything seemed much more clear to me. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time I realized, you know, this is probably really good not only for weight, maintaining my weight, but also for for my mind as well. And and it really motivated me to to continue going, you know. And then when I got pregnant, I I kind of got scared about going to hot yoga and spinning. It seemed really intense, although I kept running. But uh, I, I googled prenatal training, and the first person that showed up on Google, I called. I was like, I think I need a prenatal trainer. And so she shows up to my apartment, and she was like, Well, can you do a push up? I'm like, I'm so strong. Of course I can. So <laughs> I had never done one before. <laughs> like, yeah, I worked out. I'm, I can definitely do a push up. <laughs> I, I, I know. I mean, they do like Bikram push ups, right? Or so I'm sure they do something similar in, in that, that sequence of, of Hatha yoga poses. But yeah, I got down and I tried to do one. Then she was like, I think you need to drop to your knees. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Okay, we're going to have to work on this. <laughs> Okay. And at that point in time, I think I realized that I was missing a lot um, in terms of, you know, just strength training. Uh, And that that became a focus. Things started to shift, you know, doing less cardio and focusing more on strength. Um, And she was very traditional and very safe because I was pregnant. And we did a lot of dumbbell, you know, exercises and just body weight stuff. But Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the strength training. It was a real outlet for, you know, any tension or frustration that was built up in the day. Uh, it, it's, it's different than cardio. It gets a different release. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something I loved about transitioning from dance into fitness mm-hmm. because I'd already gotten to experience this massive range of how moving could help me guide and sort of channel certain emotions or energies. Like I could always channel heartbreak or frustration or devastation or yearning through dance. And then suddenly I got into the gym and I had weights and it was just like a totally different flavor. It's like never having tasted salty food before. And then you have salt for the first time. Like, whoa, this is intense and I like it. Yeah, yeah. It just like added this whole new dimension for me that I'd never gotten to experience before. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, but I think that the real interest in movement, at least in the, in the sense that you're talking about it, came when um, you know I was I was in I trained at the same gym for probably I don't know seven or eight years on the Upper East Side, and you know at, at the time I guess movement culture remember that hashtag hashtag movement yeah. culture was becoming really really popular and I didn't know any of this stuff but you know looking back I realized that that, that was becoming popular and a lot of the the trainers at the gym uh, that I went to were really into it and they were followers of of Edo Portal and they would they would try stuff in the gym I mean I would see them I remember one day just being downstairs in the basement and seeing four or five of them just line up for a chance to do skin the cats on on the rings and mm-hmm. I and I saw a few of them do it and I just thought I could never never do that that's impossible how do they do this but at the same time it was scary but I was very intrigued and then the next week after I was walking upstairs and out of the out of the corner of my eye I see someone doing a, a pistol squat and I and I think what is that? That's really beautiful. You know, I've, I've never seen someone do that before. That looks really easy. Maybe I could try that. Not. <laughs> <laughs> we now both know not easy. <laughs> not easy. Not easy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then the week after I saw someone doing a back lever and, and that, that was it for me. I mean, that, mm-hmm. is, that was like the apex move uh, you know it's still for me when I see someone do a, a beautiful back lever it stops me in my tracks but yeah. that day it, I, I st- it stopped me in my tracks and mm-hmm. it felt like you know I don't know people that save up a bunch of money and they go to Paris and they they wait in line and they finally get to see the Mona Lisa and they're like oh mm-hmm. this is incredible you know it's like the, one of the best moments of my life and that's exactly how I felt when I when I saw it and I didn't know mm-hmm. why but I just knew this this all these things appealed to me. So I, I went home and I, and I Googled. It was like, squat with one leg sticking out. What is it? <laughs> Man on bar looks like Superman. What is it? <laughs> and then I finally like started, you know, seeing stuff that looks similar and being like, oh, okay, this is what it's called. You know, and then I went to my spin instructor and I was like, uh, Joanna, you know, where can I learn to do this stuff? Pistol squat, back lever, handstand, skin cat. <laughs> now that you knew the names. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I had Googled all this stuff. You know, I had read like, I think I read the entire GMB website at that point in time. Uh-huh. And I was obsessed. And she's like, well, you know, those are, those are really difficult. Why don't you start with animal flow? And so I said, sure, whatever, whatever gets me close to this stuff, I'll, I'll start, you know? And so then I Googled and I found you and, and the rest is history, man. Yeah. (laughs) So I love that you had like this, almost, you said this pure moment of awe and wonder and just sort of being transported in, in witnessing some of these pinnacle movements. I think it's, it's so unique and at the same time, it's something we all feel when we watch really impressive movement because it's this way to like express ourselves. Even even just like doing a squat is a form of expression. And to right. watch somebody really pure in their movement expression and to be able to 
create enough focus and control within themselves to manipulate themselves in these new ways is always exciting. But what's fascinating to me is that your response was like excitement and curiosity and interest rather than I could never you know, and, and that that it sort of invoked that that spark for you and that you were able to follow it. You know, I think of yeah. so many people I watch who have the reverse experience. You know, they see something like that and then they kind of run away and close themselves off from it. Right. I, I think the running helped me with that because I was I honestly was never a runner. I mean, I, I could not run. I would walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes, try to run for one minute and then be exhausted and I couldn't, but mm -hmm. I, I built myself up to the point where I could run, you know, 10 plus miles, 12 plus miles at a time. And so when I saw the first skin, the cat, yes, it was intimidating, but I also realized that, you know, if I could, if I could get myself to run long distances, that this too was something that was possible. So you found me as a result of like this, like whole new level of inspiration that you wanted to dive into. Mm -hmm. What surprised you about my methodology when we started working together? I, I had, I had never been, you know, I knew nothing about flow or, you know, flowing movements. And, and this was just all new to me. You know, I had it in my head that, you know, we were going to, we were going to do these, you know, static sort of body weight exercises. And, and you, and I remember talking to you and you said, yes, you know, we, we can do that, but like, let's try this and, and use this and back into, back into it. You know, I don't know. It was, it was a different way to, to approach having me be more comfortable with, with my body and just, mm. just using it, you know, in, mm. in, in different ways. I look back at the, at the beginning of us working out and it just seems almost like you had this giant puzzle of my body and you had to decode it and, and figure out how to get, you know, the mind communicating with the limbs and the core and you kind of did it sequentially. I, I didn't know what was going on, but you did. You had the master plan, and it all worked because eventually <laughs> we got the movements to to you know transition one into another, and it looked it looks good. But it was all it was all new for me, mm. all new. Mm. So yeah, and that's like always been like my personal, I guess, passion within movement and teaching it, both in group settings and one on one. It's watching people train clients as a trainer, I always was very shocked at how segmented everything was. And I could never understand that trainers were not instructing clients on the in-between. It was always just about, especially like in a gym setting when there's weights, just always about, did you get to the end point and then come back to the start? Like, mm -hmm. let's look at those two points. Well, those two points are, you know, fractions of degrees. And then meanwhile, the movement is what happens in between. Right. And that was the place that didn't get a lot of instruction. Right. And I also noticed, like, as I did all my continuing education, you know, throughout my career as a trainer and like got certified in FRC or, you know, went went to the Institute of Motion workshop, like by and large, most of the recommendations for queuing clients it's all about external and i understand that like makes sense to just like give people specific 
easy to associate things so they can organize their body in space because it's yeah. actually already the most complex puzzle they've ever done. Mm-hmm. It's like Rubik's cube, but you're the Rubik's cube and you're having to reorganize it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what makes movement so powerful for a cognitive function too. Mm-hmm. But there is a level where I felt the missing piece is actually getting people to be more internal and internally aware of their body's experience so that they can then actually be in a full movement pattern, not just and in those like three degrees between like the top or the bottom of a movement. Right. And, and so this was what I was really diving into with you and what I dive into with everybody is like find all right, where do you have recognition of feeling something in your body? Right. All right, let's figure out how to pay more attention to it and how to thread it through more consistently without losing mm-hmm. focus and, and to then learn that sensation as sort of your primary feedback system for where you are, what you need to do more of, how to, how mm-hmm. to self-organize and orient. And then it translates into being much more autonomous mm-hmm. in your practice outside of the sessions together. No, absolutely. All of a sudden I was moving in planes that I've never moved before. And, you know, you were like, I, I don't really like to, to work too much in the sagittal plane. Let's, let's go <laughs> think outside that box. And I'm like, that's all I've ever been in. <laughs> forward back, forward back. This is down. really uncomfortable. <laughs> this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, but but it's interesting. And yeah, that's where you start to build, you know, more awareness of of your body, get more connected, and really start to, you know, some of those places are really scary. But Mm -hmm. in in going through the process, you kind of get over the fear and become become more comfortable with the movement, but also with yourself. And yeah, it carries forward to every activity that you do uh, outside of the gym as well. Um, because when you're when you're in an uncomfortable situation, you kind of you're better at feeling your way through them. Mm, mm. I'd love to know some of the specific examples of where that fear came up, right? Because you mm-hmm. mentioned that like there's times where it feels scary, and you just sort of have to like lean in and go. Like, do mm-hmm. you have any specific memories of like? What in far, in particular felt scary for you in, in like yeah. moving new ways? Yeah, uh, yeah. When we, whenever we did anything that required any amount of inversion, you know, it could have been a lateral ape travel where your feet are suspended for a second and and they hit the ground. But that moment where you're just like, uh, not your only your hands are connected to the ground is a really scary place. Kicking up to a handstand for the first time was insanely scary for me, you know, mm. anything that just reoriented me from, from where I normally am, which is nice and safe with my feet on the ground <laughs> was really, really scary. And it took, it took a lot of just practice of doing it over and over again and just learning to trust myself and, and say, okay, if you fall, you're going to be okay. You'll be able to get out of it. But you know, you probably won't fall and just trust yourself and, and just go with it. And, you know, yeah. And I mean, your body is smart too. When you fall, it, it does its best to protect you. Yeah. You know, like, like I know like there were a few times like where. Oh, I, practice- I bit it a few times. <laughs> 
<laughs> we all have. I do that too. <laughs> yeah. But but it's okay. It's part of the process, and, mm. and you have to go. But I you know I do I do understand that it's scary, and and there's things that I I learn even today that are scary. But mm. you know I've I've kind of learned to accept that that the fear is part of a learning process. There's almost a sweetness in it too. You know, mm-hmm. I think once you, when you get comfortable with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and, and, you, and you like face that threshold over and over again, then it has less of that intensity. You kind of know more, you have a better understanding that it's a process and that it's temporary mm-hmm. and like, and you know what to expect, even if you're in the unexpected. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How has uh, this new approach to movement and everything we fleshed out in the last four years been changing these other aspects of your life that you mentioned, specifically looking into things like your relationship with your body, motherhood, partnership, work, all those little facets? I think movement is a funny thing because it it is a very... I was thinking about this question and how, is it, how I was going to answer it. And I really feel like it's the way you, you teach is, is to really plug into your, your mind first, you know, and then to your feelings and then sort of move from there and, and kind of let that lead you in the direction that you need to, to go. And, you know, after a few years of working with you, I remember walking down the sidewalk and feeling tension. I used to always feel a lot of tension in my, in my neck, especially and a lot of, you know, it was very bent, bent forward just from my desk job all the time. But I, I never, I never registered that. But because we, we had been training with this sort of top down approach, I stopped and I was like, yeah, I can feel myself holding tension here for the first time. You know, and I remember walking into the gym and being like, I, I feel really tight around my, my neck. Like, what do we do? You know, mm-hmm. and and I remember that you coordinated that whole day just just around releasing tension in my neck or movements that would help to, you know, loosen that area. And uh, and it, it hit me that feeling is very important. Assessing how you're feeling when you walk into a gym or any kind of movement space is, is really, it has to be the first step because if you force yourself to do something that you don't want to do, or maybe your body's not ready to do that day, that's when problems happen. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you think about, you know, where you're holding tension, what you're feeling, and you start to plan your workout based on that, you, you open up things and you're able to go much farther. Mm. Yeah. I always say this, that like, the obstacles are opportunities, you know, Mm -hmm. injuries are always our moment to become more enriched, like super versions of ourselves, Mm -hmm. because these are areas that we've been neglecting in some way. And it's probably been sending us signals for a while that we just weren't listening to until it just became very in our face. And it's so easy when an injury comes to feel angry at your body and to feel frustrated. Like I can't do what I'm used to doing. I can't do the schedule. I can't do the routine. Like this, this sucks. But you know, the truth is, is maybe that routine wasn't actually serving you. Right. And maybe by allowing yourself to step back and try something new, you get to address this 
kind of gap in your foundation, really fortify it. And then when you come back to what you're used to doing, you come in with like, really, in many ways, a whole new body, a whole new system, a whole new level, whole new level perspective. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ability to progress and then expand beyond that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, you know, it, you take that sort of feeling first approach and you, you apply it to everything in life. It's not just in the, in the gym or, you know, in a movement studio. I know, you know, when I when I am with my my children, there's so many frustrating moments, especially now mm-hmm. we're all at home. You know, parents or parents are teaching their children from home and they're working from home. It's extremely frustrating. So to be mm-hmm. able to have the tools in your toolbox to assess where you have tension and sort of, you know, be able to to release it in some way or another, it, it definitely makes you a better a better parent, a better partner even because you know, you're not releasing things on other people. You're able to sort of work through your issues yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's been many times where I've had to do that over the past five months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, haven't we all? I mean, I know for me, as challenging as quarantine was in a lot of ways, I actually think it's helped me fine tune even deeper until the signals my body gives me because you know here I am somebody who teaches people how to fine tune this is what we're talking about our work having helped you with and I realized like all the places I'd been sidestepping that for myself Mm -hmm. and all the details where I was just like letting that slide and and prioritizing other things and it was really eye-opening for me to to start like seeing it in every moment rather than the moments I had the the ability to like focus on. Right, right. It, it translates through every part of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that you're practicing on your own, what are some of the key takeaways and tools that you are incorporating still into your daily life? Uh, I do a ton of breath work now. That was some of the stuff that we did post-quarantine. And mm. I realized it, it was so helpful to me to be able to just have these moments where I, I, I'll actually do it here in the office. I stand up out of my, my desk chair and I will breathe into different parts of my spine to sort of expand my rib cage or send breath you know, to different parts of my body to kind of open it up. I do a lot of spinal movements, you know, that you've, you've taught me. Mm-hmm. That's what I find myself focusing on these days is really just, you know, opening myself up and trying to keep my spine supple. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are, you know, important to me. And then sometimes just, you know, as we say with the feeling, I go with the feeling. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. feel like flowing and I do. <laughs> <laughs> what does that look like for you? I, I would love for you to elaborate a little bit more on like an example of going with feeling or using your feeling to help guide you in how you take care of yourself on a given day. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I need to to be grounded. And we, we did so much of this sort of grounding work on the floor and uh, and I'll I'll get on the gym floor. I know that's gross but I do. <laughs> I don't even, I don't, afterwards. I don't care. I do it. Um, but I, I get on, I get on the floor and I just, I sit there in the starfish position and I kind of 
let myself go where I want to go. You know, I don't have mm-hmm. a plan in mind. And mm-hmm. I'll start rolling, you know, and I'll, I'll kick my feet over my head and, and do a rotation and, and take it step by step. You know, maybe I, maybe I do a beast crawl or whatever, but it's, it's mm-hmm. just, it's totally based on nothing except for, I want to be close to the ground. And so I'll, I'll do things that keep me close to the ground and on the ground mm-hmm. and massage my body. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always used to explain like the importance of groundwork in the context of like partnership and how gravity in many ways is the most intimate, like one of the most intimate relationships we have. And then we kind of take it for granted. So imagine being in a relationship with a partner where somebody's talking and the other person isn't listening and they're blatantly ignoring, it wouldn't be one of the most fruitful or fulfilling relationships. And our relationship with gravity isn't quite so simplified, but I do find we kind of silence it a lot. And that is that is actually a big reason why I put so much effort and time into floor work and groundwork and really learning to feel into the ground because with fitness guiding us more and more into like these weights and kind of these really extreme positionings, whether it's high intensity interval training or like being able to do these pinnacle calisthenics or even being able Mm -hmm. to lift a ton of weight, Mm -hmm. like across the board, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of respect for how we interact with the ground independent of that. And how we interact with the ground influences our ability to do all that bright, shiny stuff that looks. Uh, Totally. I agree with you. And, and, you know, the first time you said to me, oh, Selena, push your foot into the ground. And I I said to myself, but I can't, like, I can't, I don't Mm -hmm. know how to push my foot into the ground. I don't know how to apply weight to my foot, you know, to get myself up. How is that possible? We stand on our feet all day long. We walk around. Our feet are, you know, how we get from point A to point B. Like that's, we should have complete control over our feet. Yet when you really take a look at it, I think most people probably don't have any control over their feet, just like I I did. You know, it's not there. It has to be developed. Yeah. You know, I actually notice this with every single person I work with, learning how to push into the ground is like learning an entirely new language. And and oftentimes it's a process that takes years. And like you said, Absolutely. we assume that it's so automatic. We're like, yeah, my feet are touching the ground. I'm pushing. Right. Like, actually, no, there's a big difference between feet touching and feet pushing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the a level of pressure we can choose to regulate through our feet, like we have control over, but we have to develop that skill. And I, I mean, I think a lot of it's like our lifestyle technology. And then also the fact that at some point people decided that shoes with a lot of padding meant like healthier, happier feet, which what you're actually doing is like you're blinding your feet, you're numbing them. You're masking so, the problem. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so when you spend your life walking in sneakers that have a lot of cushy support, then like of course it makes sense that being on a hard floor barefoot or in socks, like you will still not really understand the mechanics of pressure because you've literally taken away 
that sensitivity mm-hmm. to pressure and all the nuance for decades beforehand. Right. right. I, I used to work out with shoes all the time. I saw people with no shoes at the gym and I would say, you know, that's crazy. They're going to drop something on their feet. That, that's insane. I can't believe you would go to a gym with no shoes on. And mm. now I, I cannot wear shoes. I don't even take shoes to the gym. I, I can't imagine lifting weight, no less, with, with shoes because you, that's the one place where you really need to feel the earth and be able to feel how much pressure you're applying. Yeah, it's like really where we think of our brains as like running the show, but like our feet are the place in our hands, like our palms and the soles of our feet are where our body gets the feedback. So our mm-hmm. brain knows what signals to send. Mm-hmm. So it's the, the true command center and control center is all through the soles of our feet and through the palms of our hands and how right. we push into the ground and the quality of it is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, going back to the, to the, you know, groundwork, it's, it's amazing how when you, you know, you're laying on the ground and you start rolling, you start realizing like that, how uneven you are on, on the left and right, at least for me, how, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, you start to see the imbalances from a totally different point of view. You know, I usually when you do something unilaterally, that gives you a good a good uh, idea as to, okay, I have an imbalance between my left and my right side with this exercise or that exercise. But on the ground, it's it's a it's another ball game. I mean, you you really at least when I lay down, I start to see like one shoulder is coming up higher than the other and uh, and and you can kind of roll into it and sort of massage out the kinks and then get yourself more even. But it's just another tool to to use. Yeah. Well, and the brilliant thing about groundwork is, you know, this is the place we learned how to get up and stand on two feet, right? As you watch this with your children, right? Like they spend all their time rolling on the ground before they even find like a seated position. And then it's a squat. And then they spend a lot of time in a squat before they stand and come up. And like, it's something about our society or once we get up to standing, then we plug ourselves into sitting and then we're never on the ground ever, maybe on our hands and knees sometimes, right? And this is where practices like animal flow and the Edo Portal method were really stand out because they were some of the first that actually started to bring us back to the ground. Right. But, you know, through my contemporary experience and my work as a professional dancer, I remember like going through some of these older modern forms that required groundwork in this way and also being amazed at how challenging they were. And I thought I was fit. I thought I was athletic and strong. And here you have these baseline forms that ask you to use your whole body together Mm -hmm. and you're supported by the ground. But somehow, even with that support and that cooperation of your whole system, moving from point A to point B or getting from lying down to sweeping up to sit is impossible. And it not only highlights the asymmetry of like side to side, it highlights incoherence between muscle groups that are supposed to be functioning together, right? right? These deep spiral lines in the body. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the body is actually always operating as a continuous single unit, Mm -hmm. even when we're trying to isolate a joint or a muscle group or one specific movement, really, there has to be participation across the board to even allow that one simple focused movement to exist. 
Very well said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm going back to the visual of me trying to get up from the floor that one time with the Cossack squad. You were like, use your momentum. Use your whole body to drive you forward. And there was just like a break in, you know, the the signal from my brain to my legs. And I just couldn't do it. And I'm like, I should be, this should be possible, right? Like you said, it should be possible. But it's really hard. Even yeah. with the floor underneath you, it's really hard helping you. Yeah. Well, and I remember like starting off with the groundwork. I actually remember very intentionally layering it in because you expressed like interest in handstands, right? And mm-hmm. like back levers and everything. I was like, okay, so this runner probably needs to learn how to be with the ground before we start levitating out of it. Yeah. And and so like I I remember like a the first couple of months, like a lot of the work we did was like, yes, animal flow, hands and feet, but then also learning how to roll into the ground too. Right. And, and I remember watching the distinct shift when you weren't thinking about the sections of like the places you need to be the points of contact, Mm -hmm. but then you started to find continuity. And especially like in our last few years together, when we started building out more and more of these flow patterns where Mm -hmm. we weren't just focusing on learning one movement, but we were figuring out how to thread movement sequences together in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. and change them up, right? Like really enhance how your brain and body were organizing Mm -hmm. dynamically. Those moments when, when it clicks and like the, the fluidity is there and it's like, perfect it's it's that perfect form of expression where it's so continuous and flawless and then like that in juxtaposition when your brain gets in the way and you're trying to think your way through you overthink and, it and then you kind of get body. lost in the middle of the of the song yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what 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 did those experiences feel like what did do you remember the sort of some of the details and the difference between like that state of being in flow when you're moving with your body, even if it's just in a simplified single movement versus kind of being a little sticky and chunky with it. Yeah. In the middle of a, of a flow, when it goes well, you're, you're kind of, it's like, it's like when you're on a really long run and they say you get that runner's high and your mind sort of like leaves you. That's what happens when you understand a flow, you're physically capable of doing it, and you kind of just let yourself go and, and just a- accomplish it. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not there. You're, you're focusing on your breath, on where your hands go, on, on just on, on you know, being in the moment. And, mm-hmm. and there are some times where I'll start to do, maybe even the flow that the week, a week before, I did perfectly. But my mind's in a different spot. And mm-hmm. I start overthinking it and, and it's really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating because you, you see me, I, I, I sit there and I'm like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Did I do this right? <laughs> uh, Let's start back over. <laughs> I'm curious. Have you found any strategies to like help you get back into that flow state more regularly? Like points of focus or things to think about and like reminders for yourself that help you hook back in when you disconnect? I think it's just for me being comfortable with all the individual movements and being able to, to practice threading them together. And then, okay, yeah, there are the moments where you, you lose yourself or you overthink it. Oh, let it go and sort of, 
you know, walk around, refocus and, and, and try again. And, and eventually you get there. But uh, I feel like some of the time, some of the moments where we're learning something new that happens more. And then once, once you do it enough, you know, you, you kind of are co- more comfortable with it. But, mm. um, but definitely just, just, I guess allowing yourself to get on the floor and let your mind take you where it wants to go a few times, just seeing where you want to go and let, let yourself go and not having an agenda is a good way to reset yourself when you're, mm. when your thoughts are getting in the way and then mm. go back and, and refocus. But, you know, you have to allow yourself breathing room when you hit those, those, know stumbling blocks with your thought Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so what you're describing there that that practice of being able to just like go to the ground and just like let your mind take you and just like sort of explore different things and see what feels good and then get an idea to go somewhere else this is something I like to call an intuitive movement practice right it's it's not really based in structure, but you bring these elements of, of what's familiar to you in mm-hmm. and things you're practicing on or you want to explore, experiment with, and then you let yourself get a little creative and you also like really tune into what's feeling right for you in the moment. When did you find yourself start tapping into that? Because this was actually never something I actively taught in our sessions, and but it was really exciting for me to hear from you that you were stepping into this practice was there like any specific moment where you were just like this is gonna I'm, I want to try this today or was it a subtler almost kind of imperceptible it was when shift. we did the pop-outs <laughs> <laughs> animal flow pop-outs we did pop-outs yeah I wanted to pop out all the time oh and so I I would I would pop out and then figure out how to how to flow into another pop out and then it just started happening. <laughs> I thought they were so badass like I wanted to always pop out. So it was like how do I get there? I just got out of it. How do I go how do I get myself back into one, you know, without using the same movement twice or whatever. I would create these little games for myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it, it just builds on, you know, once you're comfortable doing it, you trust yourself to guide, to guide, you know, to make a flow for yourself and guide yourself through, through something like that. You just continue to do it because it's fun. But yeah. That was definitely the pop out was the starting point. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. <laughs> and I love that you like self-created that game. You know, I think the sense of play is something that's so essential to our health and especially like within movement practices, if we don't bring in that sense of play and like sort of childlike curiosity and exploration, things can start to feel very stale and rigid. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's less positive feedback or like sense of self-accomplishment gets layered in when we're so busy trying to like stick to the script, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's where the real growth comes in is when you challenge yourself to learn new patterns. You know, you, you have to, you have to be able to uh, take a pattern and, and, you know, be able to go with it and keep, keep giving yourself new ones to learn. Uh, I really feel like that's where the fluidity starts to come in. The real comfort level um, starts to show, you know, as if when other people look at you, they can tell that you're comfortable with something. It, It definitely comes from learning new patterns. Mm. And, and playing, like you say, playing with it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on that note, what do you feel as a result of your experience? Because you've tried so many different movement methods and strategies. You've mm-hmm. been in so many different veins in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. But from your standpoint and based off of your experience, what do you feel is missing the most in the industry and what factors need to be addressed or improved? Uh, you know, I I really feel like I wish there was more education for people in terms of I guess neural patterning and mm-hmm. and having people, you know, be able to integrate their mind more into into what they're doing, cognitive integration. Uh, I really feel like you know, the fitness world, at least I see it, you know, how I see it when I, when I enter the gym floor is so focused on people moving from the squat rack to the cable machines and, you know, from one station to another station. And you don't really see people on the floor doing a lot of, a lot of, you know, movement with just with their, with their body weight. Maybe we should be, for me, less focused on bicep size and the bench press and more focused on, you know, how I can create a more integrated relationship between my brain and my body through just using my body. Mm. (laughs) You know, Mm. I feel like there should be a poster that says, do you worry about the length of your telomeres? Have you you checked in with your vagus nerve? (laughs) Instead, in Equinox, all you see are like these like buff dudes, you know, covered in honey. They have some weird, some weird like commercials and stuff. But it's all it's all geared towards like the bodybuilder type, you know, um, super sexy. You know, here I am. I'm an animal. But uh, but you know, yeah, it should be more focused for me. All of that's important. I'm not saying it's not important. I just think another part of it is that, you know, we need to to worry about uh, cognitive integration into movement. Yeah, I love that you said that. And and that's like, actually, as you know, like why we work so well together, because mm-hmm. I'm so passionate about us really like allowing our full selves to be involved with movement. I think there's like a, the big problem with fitness as it is today is that there's a disassociation from mind and body. It's like, let the body do and the changes will come. And it doesn't really matter where my thoughts are, where my attention is. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm lifting the weight, it's happening. They've actually done studies on this that prove that's not true. And in fact, they've also proven that you can be thinking about the experience of lifting weight and and but through your pure focus and attention of imagining yourself there and feeling those sensations independent of touching the mm-hmm. barbell mm-hmm. and your muscles will get stronger right yeah. like your strength will improve your body will make the physical changes but it's going where your brain is directing that attention and energy and so when we're working with movement in our bodies, it's this incredible opportunity to amplify the power of our minds, to amplify our ability to think and to focus. But if we're right. not, if we're not bringing our brain into our body when we're moving, then none of that happens. And then I think this is where a lot of people have that experience of pushing themselves so hard or like putting so much time in, but they're 
they're actually not in. They're like listening to podcasts and, you know, checking emails and, you know, responding to Instagram stuff while they're in the gym and just kind of like, yeah, I showed up. Uh, Things will happen. We see it today, of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My heart always breaks when I, when I'm in those gym scenarios and I see that, like, I just, I, I feel so sad because, you know, for me, it's all, this has always been like the place where I found the most aliveness and it, and like you've mentioned, it, it's inspired everything in my life as mm-hmm. a result. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's inspired, you know, better relationships, like more authentic friendships. It's repaired my relationship with my parents and, sure. or, you know, all sorts of things mm-hmm. like it, it like even healed a lot of aspects of my relationship to my body and to myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there, there's a big shift in education that needs to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I don't fault people for showing up to the gym and just getting through it because that's, that's what they think is normal that people just get it done, get, go do yeah. it. you know, go get it. You know, those are like the common things you hear when someone says they want to go, go get it, go get it done. There's all this sort of gusto that's, you know, uh, Mm. being driven at at people to motivate them to, to go to the gym. Whereas I I think people like me and you show up to the gym and they sort of take a deep breath, feel themselves out and and ask themselves, okay, what do I feel like doing today? What does my body want me to do today? What do I want to to work on? You know, do I want to to do breath work? Do I want to? We talked about ground based movements. So I want to be mm-hmm. one with with uh, succumb to gravity. What do I want to do? You know, <laughs> I, they're they're very deep questions. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of it is that by and large the education of our body should be just like a general education. And right now that information only exists if you're becoming a fitness professional. And then once you become a fitness professional, your role in many ways, actually you're taught to not educate and just lead people through what they need because they don't have time mm-hmm. or they, they're too busy. And for me that I've always yeah. had a problem with that. Like, and you know, I, I spend all my teaching opportunities as education opportunities, not just telling you what to do, but explaining why, explaining how it connects. Because I know for me, if I understand the, the underlying components to something, I'm much more motivated to actually do it. And like, for me, this is another thing that fitness sort of needs to reorganize within itself is rather than assuming people don't want the information, maybe give them the information so then they can make an educated decision for themselves. Right. That take the, yeah, it takes time. It takes time to do that. And, uh, and I think, uh, fitness is a business and people need to make sales. And so they will tell people what they need to hear in order to, to make the sale, which is I can get you rock solid abs in 30 minutes. Um, we can do a 20 minute class and you'll have a Brazilian booty. Ta-da, that's what you want, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, telling someone to show up and do, you know, 20 minutes of FRC so they can strengthen their end range mobility is much less sexy. <laughs> oh, I know. And a lot scarier to do. And, and a, a lot, lot scarier to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Oh. 
but uh, but that's where the real change happens. You know, it takes it takes mm -hmm. time and it takes effort. And yes, it's not sexy, but it's it's very much needed. Hmm. I love that. So movement wise, and as a mother, what do you wish for your kids to learn? Where do you find opportunities to shape your children's relationship to movement and their bodies through your experiences and everything you've learned in the last few years? I think just taking kids to the playground is a really big deal and letting them be kids. You know, we talked about play. Play is really important. Play is what children do. And, and we need to make those opportunities available to them. I, I think that a lot of parents are really focused on teaching their child a sport and pushing it, pushing that single sport on their child. I was talking to Chris about this too. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, there's, I, I, I listened to an Edo interview once where he, he mm -hmm. talks about this and it really made a lot of sense to me where in the beginning or up to the age of, of 10 or 12, you don't want your, you want your children to play. You also don't want them to be a specialist in anything. You want them to be able to explore more gymnastics type movements. And I have both my kids in, in, uh, in gymnastics for that reason, uh, because similar to uh, the flows that we learn or the ground-based movements that, that you teach, you know, you want to, to be able to maximize the, the um, mind muscle growth and development as much as possible because it, in, in youth, it, it develops exponentially, you know, for mm. a little bit, slow in that category as we get older, although we're not hopeless, but you know, why not, why not give your, your kids the, the maximum, you know, uh, opportunity to, to be integrated as individuals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, play gymnastics and then versatility. Yeah. 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 I love that. So. Well, Selena, thank you so much for devoting your time to us today to share the thank details. You of your experience it's it's been so lovely talking to you it always is That's why we get along so <laughs> we do well is there any final words of wisdom that you would like to leave the listeners with today try new things try mm. try new things don't be don't be afraid to look at a look at a flow and give it a go you know you never know what you're ready for and where your mind will take you and what unexpected magic lies behind that door. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.